All right. Go ahead and take a seat. Cooley Brothers. That's a Cooley original, just so you know that song. Evan Cooley, he'd never tell you, but I'm going to tell you. Good song. So I'm going to act something out, and uh, you're going to tell me uh, what it's from, what setting it's from, all right? Here we go. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace. Peace. Catholic Church, all right, yes, yes. That was one of, I grew up in the Catholic Church. That was one of my favorite things in the Catholic Church. I, I f- very much remember that. Turning around, shaking people's hands. Peace, peace be with you. Such a great, like, is it a prayer? Is it a blessing? It's, yeah, it's all those things. May God's peace be on you. And, you know, there'd be, there'd be warm hands. There'd be cold hands. There'd be old hands. There'd be tiny hands. And, yeah. All right. Peace be with you. I think that's God's word for us this morning. Peace be with you. It's his word to you and me this morning. It's his gift for you and me this morning. Anybody feel like, yeah, I could use a little peace? Yes, me too. Now, did Jesus ever say that phrase, peace be with you? Yeah, it goes back to Jesus. Everybody remember the setting for that? Oh, yeah, say it in Spanish, because that will not help me. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. They were, this was after Jesus' death and resurrection, um, they, the disciples were together. They were hiding. They were fearful because the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders had just worked together to kill Jesus the Messiah, their leader, and they thought, maybe we're next. And Jesus, the risen Lord, walks. It's a word that, um, it's just a word. My prayer this morning is that it would be something that you experience, that we, that we take in, that we really understand and, and know today, know in our bones God's peace from us, the gift of peace. Now, what do we mean when we say peace? Let's put some words on that as well. So, uh, in Hebrew, the, the word is shalom. It means uh, in Greek, it's a reine. It, they both mean the same thing. It means relational wholeness. So it's, a, it's a relational word. It's, it's bringing wholeness between two parties, between people, between people and God. Relational wholeness or harmony. Harmony. So, you know, picture a, maybe you've had this hopefully recently, just a, a family get-together or a get-together with friends and everybody's getting along. People are enjoying each other. It's just one of those moments where of harmony, of relational um, connected, connectedness, of wholeness and peace. Uh, maybe for um, Samuel's parents or Anna Liz's parents, it's when they go to sleep. It's a moment of peace. <laughs> peace inside, peace with each other, peace with your child. God, who is the eternal relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is eternally, in his essence, a relationship of peace, of unity, of oneness, of harmony. And God, our creator, made you in his image and likeness to live in that kind of peace, to experience that this way, horizontally with each other, and then with God as well. Question. 
Is that where we are? Is that where we live? Is that where you were this week? Is that where you were hustling to get to church? <laughs> Not a lot of us were. We, we experience a lot of conflict and strife, don't we? A lot of broken relationships, a lot of tension, a lot of the opposite of peace. Why is this? If God our Maker is at peace, He made us in His image and likeness to be at peace, why is it like this? Why do we have conflict and strife? Maybe too much inflation? You know, the tax code or, you know, the last political people in power, maybe this political people in power. I don't know, there's always someone to blame out there, right? Is that the problem? I mean, it's, it's sometimes a problem, but is it the underlying problem? Is it the foundational problem? What does God say the problem is? Sin. One little three-letter word, sin. Sin. What is sin? We have conflict and strife because of sin. That's the, the root problem. Now, we spend a lot of time rearranging the furniture up here, hoping that brings peace and fixes the, the problem. But underneath, we have this rotten foundation. Humanity, bad news, is riddled with sin. We see it all through Scripture. God, God has a repeated message for us. He wants us to see the problem clearly. He really spells it out in Romans 3.9, which is quoting a psalm. Romans 3.9, listen to this. Jews and Gentiles alike... That's all of humanity, Jews and everybody else. Jews and Gentiles alike, no ethnic group is immune. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. No one who consistently all the time does the right thing. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. There is no one who does good, not even one. Then one more verse that's, in your, that's not in your bulletin. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Ruin and misery marks their ways. God speaking of humanity. And the way of peace they do not know. The way of peace they do not know. Ah, uh, isn't that discouraging? That's, is it accurate? Is this a new problem? Is this maybe just the new generation? Was it millennials? Or where are we now? I forget. Generation Y? <laughs> Z? Are we up to Z now? No, when did it begin? Way back at the beginning, Genesis 3. Really early on. All right? So there we see clearly uh, that sin is this. Let's put some words to this. What are we talking about when we say sin? Sin is disobeying, rejecting God's word. It's, it's putting it off. It's, it's shrugging it off. And as a result, sin is opposing God. When we ignore God, the creator, the ruler of heaven and earth, when we ignore his words, we are opposing him. We are setting ourselves up in opposition to him. We are breaking peace with our maker. That's the foundation, critical, fatal problem of humanity. God says, here's the standard, here's the target. Love each other. Everybody, love each other the way you want to be loved. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. And love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and strength. All of who you are. Put God first. And relationships relate to others the way you want to be related to. Treat them the way you want to be treated. But we don't, man. We have this other, we have this power of sin in us that, that you don't have to generate this. It's just there. Like impatience springs up, doesn't it? Impatience, selfishness, rudeness. We, we dishonor, disrespect each other. We say things that are tear down instead of build up. Instead of being generous, we're stingy and fearful. We can be lazy. Wait for others to do for us what we should do. We take more than we give. We gossip. We get bitter. Nobody's immune. Our sin breaks relationship with others. As a result, we're in this place in our marriages, in our friendships, in our workplaces, where, next fill-in, we need, we need something. We need peace with each other. God wants to restore humanity to the place it was created to live in which is peace, harmony, wholeness of relationship with one another. God's working on this. God's, God's after this. We need it. We need peace with each other. Now here's a question. How are we going to get there? Who's going to bring that peace that we need? We're in this like sinking ship. Like I can't help bring peace because I'm, I've got sin in me. And you can't bring it because you have sin in you. And any solution we come up with, it's, it's sin-riddled as well. Because it comes from humans who are sinful. It's kind of depressing. Our sin creating conflicts and breaking peace with each other, it's bad, right? It's such a bummer. It's such a, it, you plan something and then people are fighting and bickering or snarky and it just ruins it. And you're like, ah, come on. We need some peace. It's bad, but it gets worse. We're going to take it down one more notch. See, here's the deal. When you and I sin, when we do what God says don't do, and all sin is relational. All sin has to do with how we treat each other. If I'm greedy, if I lie, if I, I'm lustful, if I'm, um, if I'm selfish, all of those are relational things. And it breaks relationship with others. And it breaks relationship with God. See, God's not like you and me. God's above this all. And he's our maker. And he's the one calling the shots. And when we break his commands, he's angry. He gets mad about it. Because when I break his commands, when I sin, I'm messing up his good creation. I'm hurting and harming those who he loves. God's mad about sin. The word, biblical word, is God's wrath. Here's the deal. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark. We've sinned. Next feeling. We're guilty. Now we've got to look this problem right in the face, right? We have to know the problem. We've sinned. We're guilty. And God's wrath is coming. God's punishment, His justice for those sins is coming. We see it in Scripture. Sometimes we skip over those bits. We don't like those bits. It's there, repeated, because God wants us to know it and see it. This reveals another need. 
We need peace with each other. We need peace with God. Our sin creates separation, breaks peace. We need peace with God. Now, who can bring that? How are you going to fix that? How are you going to mend that? Maybe I'll just work harder now. Okay, good luck. And then Tuesday comes, and you've broken it again. We're in a tight spot, man. All right. One more level of badness. This is fun, Wayne. Thank you. It's actually worse. The problem goes a little bit deeper. So your sin, my sin, separated you and me from God. And when we get separated from God, what are we separating ourselves from? When we turn away from God. We're separating ourselves from the source, the source of life, the source of joy, of peace, the one who is eternally at peace, the one who is the fountain of joy. We're separated from that stuff. And so God does this. He's like, okay, you don't want to live under my rule and reign? Okay, I will let you go your own way. And we have a very vivid picture of this, Genesis 3. Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. They're sent out of that place set apart for them by God. And we're blocked from what? Tree of life. Turn away from God, we turn away from life, and we will die. More, God puts a curse on his good creation. He created it good. He created it very good. It was, it was teeming with life. It was very productive. Way more than it is now. God hinders it. God frustrates it. He, he removes his blessings. So we will experience what life is like without him. You don't want me? Okay. Try it. He gives us it. And nature is out of whack, isn't it? We got atmospheric rivers. This wasn't so bad, was it? Uh, it's not as richly productive and conducive to life as it was in the beginning. There's large-scale natural disasters, right? There's animals that will eat you. There are microscopic organisms, bacteria, viruses that will put you down. We know that one very well. Genesis 3, you can read all about it there. You can read a shorthand version of it, Romans 8.20. For the creation was subjected by God to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Now, somehow, miraculously, you um, somehow bypass all those things that want to kill you. At some point, your body will turn against you. Mutiny, inflammation, cancers, one way or another, your body will run down and die. You are perishing. Each day you get closer to that death date. It's a slow train coming, but it is coming. Nothing will stop it. From dust you were made, to dust you will return. Now, some people don't come to their senses until they're at that point and they're wondering, who will save me from this? I'm separated from God. Where's my hope? There are good reasons to be afraid, to be fearful, to be anxious, to be worried. We are vulnerable animals, man. God designed us that way. We don't have fur to protect us. We're upright. We're on our 
my organs are exposed. We're living dangerously. There are good reasons to be afraid. It's hard to be at peace inside when we consider what all that can go wrong with us, and more so, all that can go wrong with those who we love. That one's even more terrifying. We get these great gifts of kids, and then we think about all the bad things that can happen to them. It's hard to be at peace. In the 700s BC, let's go back to a prophet named Isaiah. In Israel's history at that time, there were problems. It was bad. Not only problems that are common to humanity, those that I've already described, but Israel, whom God set apart as a special people, had become corrupt, just like the nations around them. They were just like everybody else. Listen to this. Isaiah 1 gives us a snapshot. He says, Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They've spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. Why continue suffering? It looked hopeless. Because it was hopeless. They looked around, who could fix this? They looked to their leaders, their leaders were corrupt. Their leaders were part of the problem. Same situation today. You cannot save yourself. Nobody can save you for you. A sinking person cannot save a sinking person. All right, now, now that we've ticked it down three notches, now, if you get to that point, if you can see that, then you're at a place where you're ready to receive the gift of God. You're ready for salvation. When you realize you look around, this is hopeless, I need peace with others, I need peace with God, there's nowhere to get it, then you are ready to call out to God and hope that he's out there. Hope that he's listening. And you might get to a place, you might be at a place then, finally, when you're ready to listen to God, listen to his word, turn to him, and start hearing what he's been saying. This is why God brought the curse in the first place on humanity after we sin, so that we would come to this place, oh, I need God, I need help, I'm doomed. Isaiah and his contemporaries, they were seeing this, and they were calling out to God. They were calling out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And God, in his great mercy, responded. He began to speak. He began to reveal his plans for humanity, his gift of salvation. He began to give them hope. Listen to this picture of promise to Isaiah about events that were future to him. This is about 730 B.C. God gives Isaiah this picture. Chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness. That's people walking in darkness. That's a good image for it. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has come on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. 
For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, listen for it, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Hope, light, a promise. And God's just getting started. God starts giving these other images, these pictures of what he's about to do, what he will do. In 588 B.C., Jeremiah 31, listen to this. The words to Jeremiah, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. An offer of peace, a solution to our sin problem. 585 B.C., the word comes to Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you, cleansing. You will be clean. I will give you a new heart. Bro, that's what we need, a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, that stubborn, sinful heart, and give you a heart of flesh that's soft toward God. And I will put my spirit in in you, God's Spirit in you, and move you by the Spirit to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. We need that power. Without it, we're hopeless. We're helpless. Let's summarize these promises. There's plenty more, but these are some key ones. These are the promises that went out. A child would be born, a child, a son, the Prince of Peace is promised. He will establish a never-ending kingdom of peace. Cleansing, forgiveness of sins, and a new unbreakable covenant that keeps us at peace with God. He will put his spirit of peace in you to help you and me, to help us walk in his ways, to walk in peace, shalom, harmony with God and each other. That's, that's what we need, right? Yes, Lord, give us this gift. I'm feeling hopeful. I'm feeling hopeful. We've turned a corner here. Fast forward. It's actually slow forward. A few hundred years to 5 BC. The, late, the wait was long, but in 5 BC, this thing starts popping. Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2, let's read about it. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch of their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. It's happening. This will be a sign to you. 
you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. It was a, it was a weird, unusual thing. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those on whom God's favor rests. Declaration of peace. A proclamation of pardon. And this child, the Son of God, Christ the Lord, Prince of Peace, is given the name Jesus, Yeshua, which means the Lord saves and then he begins to do that. When he's about 30 years of age, gives his public ministry. And what did he do? This Prince of Peace. He began to offer the gift of peace. Stunningly, he said, your sins are forgiven. He healed people who were touched by the curse showing us that he is the solution, he is the answer, he's the healer, he's the one that brings what we need. He raises the dead. He announces the arrival of God's kingdom, calls people to, to repent, to turn away from their sin and to start doing life with him, to follow him. In response, people start to trust and obey God. They start to turn away from their sins. Come into obedience to God. Come under his rule and reign. They begin to follow him. They begin to do the things that he's been telling us to do. And he fills them with God's spirit. And they begin to love God more and more with all their heart, their strength, and their mind. They begin to love each other like we're supposed to. They begin to build peace with others. Forgive Instead of hitting back, God's kingdom begins to expand his kingdom of peace. This starts to happen. After three and a half years, he makes his final entry into Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Yerushalom. Foundation, some would say fountain. Fountain or foundation of shalom. He comes into his city, the city of God. And the expectations are high. This is when the Romans ruled over Jerusalem. And the Romans, how did they bring peace? They brought peace. How did they do it? For the hammer. They brought the hammer. And dissenters they would crucify for all to see. They were intimidated. How did the true king ride into his city? On a donkey, like a young donkey. Not impressive, not a war horse without a sword or army. But people saw something. People who had eyes to see, people who were ready, who were waiting, saw the fulfillment of the prophecy that was given to Zechariah in about 520 B.C. It went like this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. And riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim. Look, he's, this is a picture of peace. I'll take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This righteous, victorious king coming on a donkey. And they threw down their cloaks those who saw threw down their cloaks to honor him as king. 
And then Jesus goes into the city. And then what does he do next? How does he get to the throne? How does he climb to power? How does he become king of kings and lord of lords? That was great. I think he said the cross. <laughs> it wasn't by force, whether it was the sword, it was the cross. It's through the cross, Jesus is exalted and enthroned. Not expected. Do you remember the words Jesus said the night before he went to the cross with his disciples? Matthew 26, 28. The cup, take and drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The true king brings peace through his shed blood for you. His shed blood is what absorbs God's wrath for your sins, takes it out of the way, cancels the debt, removes the barrier, so that you now, brothers and sisters, can be pardoned, can receive the gift of his pardon, can receive the gift. If you haven't yet, what are you waiting for? Today's the day. The time is now. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Are you at peace with God? Have you received this gift of peace that you couldn't earn for yourself, that Christ freely offers to you. Let me show you how you do that if you're unsure. This is how you receive God's gift of peace. John 8, 24, Jesus said, Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. You will remain in your sins. You will remain under God's wrath. You will remain separated from God. Unless you believe. Step one, step out of that turn to belief. Number one, believe. Believe what Jesus has said. Believe what's been said about him. Believe, surrender, take it, receive it. It's good news. Put your trust in what he has said. And if you have questions about it, you're stuck on some things, talk to us. Wrestle with it. The news has come. The good news that you've been waiting for is here. Receive the gift. It begins by believing what Jesus has said. Believe. And then step two, after Peter Preach that message about Jesus, who he is, what he's done to the crowd. Some in the audience believed. And then he told them what to do. Because they asked, what do we do? Acts 2.38, Peter replied, listen, what you're supposed to do next. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all the Lord our God will call. Let's do this. Step two, repent. Choose to turn away from your sin. It's not working. It just keeps me in death. It keeps me separated from God. Turn away from sin. Repent. Turn away from your sin and turn to God. That's how you receive his, his gift of peace. Believe, repent. Next one, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Just obey him. It's a clear step of obedience to him. Receive that washing. Step four. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive his presence. Open your heart to him. Receive it. This is how you receive 
the gift of peace. This is how you receive the gift of God. Have you taken those steps? If not, why not? Now, for those of us who have received that gift of peace, we're at peace with God. The one takeaway we'll look at today is, number one, those who have received the gift of peace, enjoy and rest in the peace of God. Enjoy it. Enjoy the gift of God's peace. Rest in it, brothers and sisters. Don't fret. Don't worry. You have been bound now to the one who is eternally at peace, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Nothing can shake you. Whatever comes, whatever God allows, you'll be okay. God has you. God has you. You can't break this covenant. It's unbreakable. It's the new covenant. It's not dependent on your obedience. It's dependent on what he did for you. Receive it. I gotta remind myself of this daily. Wayne, relax. You're loved by God. You're at peace with God. It's true for you because of what He did for you. You are at peace with God. Receive the gift. Enjoy it today. Rest in it. When you start to get anxious, remember the gift of peace that you have. You're united to God forever, you're part of His kingdom forever. Nothing can shake you because nothing can shake Him. Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you for this gift of peace that we could not earn, that we could only receive. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to receive that. Help us to receive that, Lord. And for those of us who've received it, Lord Jesus, help us to live in it, rest in it, Lord God. Help us let your peace flow within us, Lord. And then, help us extend that out to others, Lord Jesus. Give us opportunities to make peace with others, Lord. Give us that soft heart that's obedient to your spirit. Use us this Christmas season as we gather with friends and family, as we go through the hardships of this life, Lord. Help us be at peace with you. Amen. Yeah, it's a good word. Let's stand up.